So here's a question I'd like you to think about to lead into the, the message that we're going to see in Exodus today. And here's the question. When things don't go as expected, when things don't match up with your dreams and your anticipations of what you were hoping would happen, how do you respond? What do you do? What do you think? Like, let's say you've got your whole family primed for vacation. You're all set. Everything's planned out. And do you find out that your flight's been canceled? What do you think? What do you say? Or maybe one of your dearest friends has lost their job and is going to be having to leave the country. How do you feel about that? How do you process that? Or maybe your team at work has just lost one of your main accounts. And how do you take that? How do you, what do you think is going on at those times? How do you respond when things don't go the way you were expecting them to go or hoping that they would go? Well, that's what we're going to learn, how we should respond at those times from today's passage in Exodus. Now, here's some background for today's passage. God has promised that the people of Israel would become a, a great nation, that they would be living in the promised land, and that from them would come the Messiah, through whom all who trust him will be freed from sin's guilt and sin's power, have the joy of knowing God through Jesus in this life and even more in the life to come. So that's what God has promised about the nation of Israel. The problem, though, is that at the beginning of Exodus, the book of Exodus, what we see is that the people of Israel are enslaved there. And Pharaoh's plan is to work them to death. Not only are they not in the promised land, they are enslaved, um, being worked to death. And imagine, so God's people there, slaving away under this hot Egyptian sun, making their quota of bricks, trying to reach this unrealistic quota of bricks that they were required to make every day. But God raised up Moses and Aaron to deliver them from their slavery in Egypt. And in chapter 5 of Exodus, they go to Pharaoh and they tell him, God says, let my people go. But it doesn't go the way that Moses was hoping. Pharaoh's response is, I don't know you and I don't know your God. And the fact that you're here shows that you've got way too much spare time. So what he did was, what Pharaoh did, was he stopped providing the straw they needed to make their quota of bricks. So they had to spend time gathering straw in addition to try to make this unrealistic quota of bricks that they were required to make every day. And when the people weren't able to make the same quota, what happened? The Egyptian taskmasters started to beat the Israelite foreman. And the Israelite foreman came to Moses and said, may God punish you for what you've done to us. Why did you even go to Pharaoh? Things are worse for us now than they ever were before. So Moses cries out to God and says, why did you send me to Pharaoh? My going to him has made things even worse for your people. But God says, Moses, I'm going to free Israel. I'm going to work through you and Aaron to free Israel. So go back to the people of Israel and tell them that. So Moses does. 
But when he goes back and tries to talk to the people of Israel, they will not listen to him. They are done with him. Not interested. So things aren't going as Moses expected. Can you feel that? And that brings us to today's passage. So let's start by asking what happens as a result of this setback, things not going the way that we were hoping. What happens? Start with Exodus chapter 6, verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. So God tells Moses, Moses, go back to Pharaoh. Tell him to let the people of Israel go. But look at how Moses responds in verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. That just means he's not very eloquent. So think of what's going on now. At this point, it's not just Israel's foremen and the rest of Israel who have become discouraged and given up. Now Moses is giving up. I mean, think of what's happened. Moses had gone to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh rejected him, made Israel's slavery even worse. So the foremen, they were beaten as a result. They came to Moses and said, may God punish you for what you've done. The whole nation of Israel isn't going to listen to Moses anymore. And now Moses thinks Pharaoh isn't going to be listening to him anymore. So that's how Moses responds when things don't go as expected. He's discouraged. He's unbelieving. He's ready to give up. Can we relate? Anybody else respond in those ways? Now, one thing we need to understand here is that none of this should have surprised Moses. Because God had warned him that Pharaoh would not listen to him. Remember, back in chapter 4, verse 21, look at what we read. This is where God warns him, prepares him. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your hand, in your power, but I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. So God loves Moses, and God wanted to prepare Moses. And so with great love and wisdom, God warns Moses prepares Moses for this. So the reason that Moses was discouraged by things not going the way he had expected was because Moses had forgotten what God had said back in chapter 4, verse 21. And I just thought, I do that a lot of the time too. Don't you? Think of how often we forget what God has said. Now, we know God has given us amazing promises in the Scripture of what he will do for us. But he's also, in his love and his wisdom, warned us about trials coming. Like John 16, 33, where Jesus says to us with great love and tenderness, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, but you're going to have tribulation. Paul, in Acts chapter 14, 22, he's, he's preaching through the churches he's planted, and his message, Luke summarizes it as saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Many. Okay, this is warning. God is warning us. 
Peter in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal amongst you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Warning after warning after warning. But isn't it true that just like Moses, we can forget those warnings, right? So when trials come, we're shocked. What's happening? I thought God loved me. I thought I was saved, right? Isn't that how we respond? What's going on? And that just shows that, that we've forgotten God's warning. Okay, so how can we avoid forgetting God's warnings? Well, there's lots of answers. Read the Bible. Um, but let me especially commend to you memorizing Scripture. I would encourage you all just to start getting into a rhythm of just memorizing, you know, on, in a regular basis, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, reviewing them, memorizing them, learning them, meditating upon them. And especially, memorize some Scriptures that warn us about the fact that in this life we will have trials because you'll be strengthened when they come. You'll be prepared when they come. You'll not give up or think God has walked away from you when they come. Now, back to Moses then. So even though God had warned Moses, Moses had forgotten, and now he's ready to quit. So how does God respond? Verse 13, how does God respond when Moses says, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. If Israel's not, Pharaoh certainly is not. How does God respond? Verse 13. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge, a command, about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now here's what's going on. Here's a picture of, the, of this passage. You've got like three main sections, three main arcs for the passage today. First arc, far left there, verses 10 through 13. Although Pharaoh refused Moses' first request, he refused that, and Moses and everyone is full of unbelief, everybody's giving up, God again tells Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh. Again, Moses and Aaron Go back to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, I think at this point the author is anticipating that most of us readers are going to have a question. You're going to send Moses and Aaron back again? Isn't Moses kind of weak in faith, God? I mean, he just basically quit on you. So why Moses? Who are Moses and Aaron? Why them? And what the author deals with in this next section is showing us who Moses and Aaron are. So let's ask this question. Who are Moses and Aaron? And the author answers this by giving us a genealogy. You ready for this? In verses 14 through 27, this genealogy. And it, it's tempting to skip over genealogies, right? When you read them in the Bible, aren't sure how to pronounce the names, aren't sure what the point is. I would encourage you not to skip over the genealogies. They're not just filler. They're not there by accident. The Holy Spirit placed each genealogy right where it is for a purpose for our encouragement and strengthening, and that's the case here. So why is this genealogy here? Well, the author tells us by the way that the gene genealogy ends 
in verses 26 and 27. It's very clear. Look at 26 and 27. This comes right after the genealogy. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they, Aaron and Moses, who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. So it's clear, isn't it? The purpose of this genealogy is to show us who Moses and Aaron are. Who are they? Answered in this genealogy. Now, I want to give you a partial picture of this genealogy. Let's see how that looks up there. There it is. So this is just, this is partial. And not every name is on there, but this is the main high point. So what I want to do is I want to read through the genealogy. I'll read it, and you follow along with the, the picture. <clears throat> Again, the question that the author is answering for us is, who are Moses and Aaron? Moses is weak in faith. Their track record isn't so good at this point. Who are they that you're going to send them back? And here's the answer. I'll start in verse 14. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben. That's top left. You see Reuben up there? The firstborn of Israel. So Israel, Jacob, had 12 sons. Reuben is the first one, top left on your picture. And then the listing of his sons. Their names aren't on the, on the picture. Hanuk, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. Then next right, the sons of Simeon. Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. They're not on the picture either. These are the clans of Simeon. Okay, then next right. These are the names of the sons of Levi. Right there, top next right. According to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. See those three right underneath there, the second line. Levi's sons. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. Now, the whole rest of the genealogy is going to focus on Levi's line. Levi was the son of Israel, Jacob, okay? And now we're going to go through his line. Verse 17, the sons of Gershon, in the far left there, Libni and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, middle, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, to the right there, Mahli and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Okay, then Amram, the son of Kohath, the grandson of Levi. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Here we go. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, grandson of Levi, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the son of, sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon. She bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaf. These are the clans of the Korahites. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel. She bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses by the Levites, or of the Levites by their clans. Then verse 26, here's the punchline. These are the Aaron and Moses, by whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they, Aaron and Moses, who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses, and this Aaron. Whew, okay, we did it. Now, there's lots going on in this genealogy. 
But the main point is to show us who Moses and Aaron are. So who are they? Well, it's obvious. The fact that they are in the line of Levi shows that they are part of the people of Israel. Levi was a son of Jacob, also known as Israel. And so the fact that Moses and Aaron are in the line of Eli, Levi, shows that they are part of the people of Israel. That's the answer. Who are Moses and Aaron? They're part of the people of Israel. So even though Moses and Aaron are struggling in their faith, even though they're discouraged on the point of giving up, quitting this thing, they're still part of the people of Israel. They are trusting God. They're part of the people of Israel. Now think about what that means. That means they are part of the people whom God promised would become a great nation. God had promised that. They're part of the people who God promised would bring the Messiah. This people is going to survive and thrive. They're part of the people who God promised would be led out of Egypt into the promised land. That will happen to this people. They're part of the people who God promised would be delivered from Egypt. This is who Moses and Aaron are. And so the fact that they are part of the people of Israel shows that no matter how weak they are or no matter how badly things are going, everything God has promised to this people will happen. See how powerful that is? Who are Moses and Aaron? They're part of the people of God. And look at what God has promised for the people of God. So we readers can say, okay, Things aren't as bad as they seem. It's going to happen. Let's watch what God does here. I want to apply this to us. And I would encourage you that when things don't go the way you were hoping, I want to encourage you to ask the question, who are we? Who are we? Because you are trusting Jesus, you are part of God's people, the church of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. By faith in Jesus Christ, not because of how strong you are or how effective you are, but because you're trusting Jesus Christ, you are part of the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And so no matter how badly things are going, no matter how shocking the disappointment might be, you can know that because you are part of the people of God, you're part of the people for whom God has promised to work everything out for great good. Promised. No doubt about it. You're part of the people who God has promised, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. I will strengthen you to fight the fight of faith when you're discouraged. You're part of the people of God. That's a promise. You're part of the people who God says every need of yours will be met. Every step will be guided. Every sin will be forgiven. Every weakness will be strengthened. You're part of the people who God said, our feet, our feet will crush Satan's head. Romans 16. Check that out. And we're part of the people who God is going to keep persevering all the way in faith, all the way to the end, so that every one of us who are trusting Christ are going to enter heaven victorious. Brought into the presence of God to have the joy of knowing him, beholding him in Christ forever. You are part of the people of God, 
the church of Jesus Christ. So when things don't go as you are hoping that they would have gone, when things are going sideways, when you can't imagine trial after trial after trial, who are you? You're part of the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And all that God has promised has not changed. This is who your God is. Okay, here's what we've seen so far then. Here's the arcs, trying to fill them, starting to fill them in. Verses 10 through 13. Setbacks. Although Pharaoh refused Moses' first request and everyone is full of unbelief, God again sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. That's 10 through 13. Now, verses 14 through 27. Moses' unbelief makes us wonder, who's Aaron and Moses to be sent back to them again? They aren't doing so well. The answer is verses 14 through 27. They are part of the people God has promised to deliver from Egypt. So it will happen. Now, before Moses and Aaron head to Pharaoh again, something needs to take place. Moses' faith needs to be strengthened. Last time we heard Moses, he says, Pharaoh's never going to listen to me. And so Moses' faith needs to be strengthened. That's what happens in this next section. Chapter 6, verse 28 through chapter 7, verse 7, God strengthens Moses' faith. And Moses and Aaron then obey God. They're, they're back in the fight again. So let's ask, how does God strengthen Moses' faith? First of all, in verses 28 through 30, we're reminded of Moses' unbelief. It's a, it's a recap of what we just saw before the genealogy. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So problem, unbelief. Now, how does God then strengthen Moses' faith? First of all, I love this. He reaffirms his call to Moses and Aaron. Verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And he explains that in the next verse. You shall speak all that I command you. You'll speak that to Aaron. And your brother Aaron then shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his hand. So you're Moses, you're going to speak my words to Aaron, who's going to speak my words to Pharaoh. So you're going to be like God to Pharaoh, calling him to let the people of Israel go out of his land. So God says, Moses, nothing has changed. You're discouraged. You're weak in faith. Nothing has changed. My plan has not changed. My promises have not changed. My love for you hasn't changed. You and Aaron are going to go and tell Pharaoh to let people of Israel go. And that's what God says to us as well at those times, doesn't he? When our faith is weak, when we're struggling. He says, if things don't work out the way you hoped, if things aren't developing as you expected them to develop, Nothing has changed. God's love hasn't changed. God's promises haven't changed. 
God has promised to, to, to work out that trial, that difficulty, to bring you great good. He's promised that that trial you're facing now is going to bring you even more joy in him than you would have had otherwise. None of these things have changed. God hasn't changed. His love for you hasn't changed. His promises haven't changed. Sure, the circumstances are looking difficult, but God has not changed. Nothing has changed, Moses. Nothing has changed, Grace Church. Nothing has changed, beloved one. Nothing has changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what God tells Moses, and that's what God tells us. Then, in verses 3 and 4, he reminds Moses that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Now, this is what Moses forgot earlier, right? He forgot this part. God lovingly, wisely is reminding Moses, Moses, you must go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, but I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He will not listen to you. So let's talk about that a little bit. What does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? And and what does this say then about how God's sovereignty relates to our choices? How does God's sovereignty relate to the, the everyday choices that we make? This is a big old topic, okay? But I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, to to do some serious study on this topic. I have found this topic deeply encouraging to my faith over the years. And I would commend it to you. It's not an easy one. and I haven't answered all the questions. But I've seen enough to say, boy, this, this is really encouraging. What I've seen throughout the scriptures is that God is sovereign over all of our choices. You just see this everywhere in the Bible. I mean, you just can't escape it. All the way back to the first book of the Bible, remember when we were studying Genesis, we studied Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph is talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Remember that? And what Joseph says to them is, you meant this for evil, but God meant it. For good. God meant it. God planned it. God purposed it. God ordained your evil actions. God did that for good, which is why it wasn't evil for God to do that. So God is sovereign over Joseph's brother's choices, part of God's plan. Proverbs 16.9 says that the mind of man plans his way, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do that, go do that. But the Lord directs his steps. Uh, Wherever it might be, okay? We plan, God directs. 2 Timothy 2 says that when God saved you, he gave you repentance. Took out the heart of stone, as Ezekiel describes it, gave you a heart of flesh, gave you a repentant, soft heart of flesh that put your trust in Jesus Christ. He changed your heart. That's why you were saved. That's why you repented and put your trust in Jesus. 
So see, God is sovereign over all of our choices. Now, some people think the Bible can't teach that because that would mean we're robots. But the Bible says, no, we're not robots. The Bible does teach that, and it says we're not robots. It's just what the Bible does. We see it in just scripture after scripture after scripture, like Genesis 50, 20. You meant this for evil. You weren't robots, brothers. But God meant it, planned it, purposed it, ordained it for good. Both together, no problem. Okay? Here's how theologian Mark Talbot put it. I found this quote helpful. He says, human beings are free and fully responsible for their actions, and what they freely do was ordained by God before creation. So it just puts together sovereignty and authentic, real choices together. Here's another quote, a little, little simpler, a little shorter. Wayne Grudem, God causes us to make willing choices. No robots, willing choices, purposed, planned, ordained by God. Now, this should be raising more questions in your mind, not less, right? And, and it, if so, it's working. You're understanding what I'm saying. This is not an easy topic, but I'm persuaded the Bible clearly teaches two truths. God is sovereign over all of our choices, and our choices are willing choices for which we are responsible. So that's what it means for God to harden Pharaoh's heart. And again, I would encourage you to pursue the other questions that are raised by that. But, but the point here is that God is strengthening Moses' faith. He's strengthening Moses' faith by reminding Moses, Moses, remember, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. You forgot last time. Don't forget again. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so when Moses goes to Pharaoh. We'll see this in these next weeks. The plagues start to come. Pharaoh says, no, plague comes. Pharaoh says, no, we're going to see. Remember, God is hardening his heart. This is part of God's plan. Now, let's apply this to us. One of the ways that God will strengthen our faith is to remind us that part of his will is to allow trials to come our way. That's what he just told Moses. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. It isn't going to be easy for you, Moses. And part of the way God strengthens our faith is to remind us that part of his plan is trials. Part of his plan is difficulties. So I would encourage you to open up God's word and let him remind you of that. Let that strengthen your faith, steal you, prepare you, so that you're not lulled into thinking something that's not the case. Okay, then, in verses 4 and 5, God tells Moses why. He's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. This trial is coming, Moses. Now here's why. Here's my purpose for it. Start with verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord 
when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So the reason God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart is because that will give God an opportunity to work more miracles, more signs, more wonders, more miracles, more signs, more wonders. It'll just be this dazzling display of God's power and authority and majesty. And the purpose of that is so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, God says to Moses. So there is a purpose for all this, Moses. I'm in control. When Pharaoh says no, I'm in control. Because there's going to be a display of my glory and the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. Compare two scenarios. What if the first time that Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, okay, it's been great having you. Lord, go get him. And then Israel just leaves. Okay, well, Israel would have loved that one, right? Woohoo! They would have loved it. But Egypt would have just been going on with the routine as usual. No display of God's power and glory to Egypt, right? So that's not what happened. There's another scenario. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. He says no. And a powerful sign comes. They go back. Pharaoh says no. Another sign comes. A miracle. Amazing things we'll be reading about in these next two weeks. And so there's display after display after display of God's reality and God's power and the the fact that the, the God of the people of Israel is God. He is the Lord. That's what's happening here. Now, we don't know all that ended up happening with Egypt. God says this is so that Egypt will know the Lord. But I want to read you a scripture from Isaiah chapter 19 about Egypt. We don't know when this happened, but we know it has or will or is going to take place. Isaiah 19, verses 24 through 25. Actually, I'm going to start with the last part of verse 23, which won't be on the screen, though. That's okay. There it is. I mean, here's the last part of verse 23. The Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Last part of verse 23. Then verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. This is God talking. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. God's purpose for the trial of The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is to display his glory so that Egypt will respond and put their trust in him. So that's how God strengthens Moses' faith. And, brother, sister, that's how God will strengthen your faith. He's just warned you that trials will come, but that's not all that he says. He says, here's why. Here's my purpose for the trials. No trial is random. No trial is meaningless. No trial is without purpose. Every trial that God gives, and, and some he, I think, gives with tears, because he suffers our, in our suffering, but every trial he brings us is a blood-bought gift from God of more nearness to him. Lots of other aspects of how trials can bring us good, but that's always the heart of it. 
And so no trial is wasted. Flights being canceled, not wasted. Losing an account of work, not wasted. Not wasted. Having your friend lose their job, not wasted. Sickness, not wasted. Nothing is wasted. And so God is strengthening Moses' faith here. Not only will this be difficult, Moses, because Pharaoh's going to say no, but I've got a glorious purpose for why. So trust me. That's what God's saying to you. He has a glorious purpose. Why? And he's saying, trust me. So, this is how God strengthens Moses' faith. And we can see the result of that in verses 6 and 7. What happened in Moses and Aaron? Verse 6, they were strengthened. Moses and Aaron did so. They went to Pharaoh. They're back in the game. Their faith was strengthened. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So they obeyed God. Their faith was strengthened. God strengthened Moses and Aaron so they could obey and God will strengthen your faith so you can obey. He promises. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us. Father, I pray for us as a church that you would help us understand your plans, your purposes, so that we would not be devastated when things don't go as we expect, so we could be able to fight through to trust your promises, your purposes for the trials that come our way. Father, I pray for anyone here who has not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ, they're not yet part of the people of God for whom all these promises are true, and Lord, that right now they would see your glory in the Messiah Jesus, and that they can be forgiven, and that they would put their trust in Christ right now. I pray that you would do that, Lord. Change hearts right now in this room. Bring them to faith. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would be so gripped by your truth that when trials come, we would, we would be able to be at peace, would be able to be strong, would be able to, to trust, not to grumble, not to complain, but that we could shine with your peace and strength and glory so the world would know the Lord. Just like the Egyptians. That was the purpose for the Egyptians. So Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us with this. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.